What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. From the Headstuff Podcast Network, welcome to The World According to Wikipedia, the podcast that explores the weird, wonderful and baffling world of Wikipedia, the people who write it and what make them tick, with me, Fanula. And me, Rebecca. In this episode, we're going to be talking to Dr. Connor Malone, who is an Irish doctor, an ophthalmologist and Ireland's national healthcare Wikimedian in residence. Now, Rebecca, what exactly is a Wikipedian in residence? Wikimedians in residence are an embedded staff member in an institution or an organization uh, whose job it is to promote the use of Wikimedia projects within that setting and primarily to educate their fellow staff and any other stakeholders about Wikimedia projects like Wikidata and Wikimedia Commons. The very first official Wikipedia in residence was Liam Wyatt, who worked voluntarily in the British Museum for five weeks way back in 2010. Wow, that long ago. Yeah. Uh, since then, there have been similar people working in places like the Smithsonian, Museo Picasso and the University of Edinburgh. And in most cases, they t- tend to be called Wikimedians in residence as they tend not to just focus solely on Wikipedia. So looking at the things, as you said before, uh, Wikidata or Wikimedia Commons, things like that. Exactly. So like data sets or digitized objects or images, that kind okay. of thing. So can anybody be a Wikimedian in residence or do you need to have a specialist skill? Well, broadly speaking, the people that tend to be employed uh, as uh, Wikipedia in the residence tend to have some experience with editing on Wikipedia or other Wikimedia projects, but not always. Some of them do learn on the job, but it is more that they know the basics. So mm-hmm. when they're teaching other people, they know what they're doing, basically. Yeah. They do also need, you know, to be good at imparting skills. They kind of have to be good at perhaps, you know, setting up and doing a workshop, that kind of thing. And depending on where they, they are, like the context that they're in, the ability to work with lots of different departments and to create learning and teaching materials is often part of part of their remit, part of their job. So they tend to be very good communicators then. That's kind of their role. Generally and kind of project leaders almost in a way. Um, and they tend to have some kind of basic knowledge around issues like copyright and Quite often they'll be generating outputs, so like reports, but also perhaps like, you know, YouTube videos and things like that. Okay. Uh, on that, like what are, what's the, what do they typically do? Mostly they are there to educate and collaborate with staff, but depending on the institution, it might be students or the public that they're working with to raise awareness around Wikimedia projects and to encourage more people to get involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, often they'll focus on a neglected or poorly represented area of knowledge on Wikipedia and look to leverage the resources of the host institution to improve coverage on these projects. So one example would be the University of Edinburgh have done lots of work on women in red. Okay. And is there any benefit for the institutions themselves? Generally, this is measured in impact in Ooh. big shiny letters. So more and more institutions are realizing that no matter how wonderful their website is, no matter how great their little walled garden is, mm-hmm. um, for generic or high level information or kind of that kind of overview, most people you know, are still going to Wikipedia and they will probably yeah. continue to do so. So for institutions that so there's a Wikimedia in residence in the Library of Wales, and there has been for a good few years, Jason Evans, and uh, they realized that they have huge amounts of information, other um or sorry, huge amounts of images and other information in the public domain um, and other kind of open licenses. And they're finding that, you know, they've released all those images to Wikimedia Commons and they're getting hundreds and thousands way more views than they ever did on the institution website. So they're, you know, they're definitely fulfilling their mission of 
spreading Welsh culture and things like that. So this is a bit like the tourism thing that they discovered a few when we discussed it a few episodes back. That when you add pictures or um, make the information more readily accessible on Wikimedia or Wikipedia, um, people will come. Like if you build it, they will come. Exactly. So, you know, if the high quality image is on a, Wik- on a Wikipedia page, you click on it and, you know, the information will tell you from the National Library of Wales or from okay. the National Library of Ireland or whatever. And you're like, oh, so then you make the institutional link. <laughs> but apart from anything, they're just getting loads more eyeballs on, on their resources. things. Yeah. Yeah, that's good to know. I mean, most of them, their mission is to put information in front of people. So really where that happens is probably, you know, academic. <laughs> Literally <laughs> academic in some cases. Exactly. There's lots of amazing shows on the Headstuff Podcast Network. For example, Joe Rooney's Potter Rooney. Joe is one of Ireland's most recognisable comedians. He's part of Ireland's oldest comedy improv group and as an actor he has starred as the memorable Father Demo in the iconic Father Ted as well as roles in Killin' a Scully, Red Rock and more. In his interview podcast, Potter Rooney, he chats with comedians, actors and musicians as well as people with fascinating stories. There's over 120 episodes in the back catalogue so there's plenty to binge through on these wintry nights when we can't go out. For all episodes you can check out headstuff.org slash Potter Rooney. Enjoy! Hello, Joe Rooney here. Back in 2015, I recorded my first Potter Rooney. And since then, I've been chatting to people that I meet throughout my travels here and there all over the world, including Sean Locke, Mary Coughlin, Frank Kelly, Joanne McAnally, Owen Colgan, Shazia Mertza, Aidan Gillen and Kautia Reardon. But loads of people you'd never heard of who have very interesting tales to tell including the sadly no longer with us Boston-based comedian Barry Crimmins, who led a crusade against images of child abuse on the internet, Tracy Carroll, whose daughter Willow has the highest grade of cerebral palsy, Drogheda Homeless Aid, Christine Volset, a Norwegian singer-documentary maker who ended up hanging out with the young lads in Nurse City Dublin and riding bareback on a horse through the city streets. All these very interesting tales to tell, and all you have to do is skip the first six minutes of me talking rubbish. That's Potteroni. And now, back to the show. So for this episode's random Wikipedia rule, we're going to look at one that's tied up with Wikimedians residents and things like that. And it is that for many, many Wikipedians, the idea of being paid to edit is a huge no-no. And there is a policy kind of governing and looking after and, you know, I suppose, monitoring those who could be construed as being paid to edit Wikipedia. So how can Wikipedia prevent it, though? Like, how does it work with things like Wikimedia in residence or other roles like that? So there is a whole series of mechanisms to regulate editors who declare what's referred to as their conflict of interest. So the fact that they are employed as the Wikimedia in residence for the Welcome Trust or whatever it is, so that there is no ambiguity or potential suspicion of abuse. A huge thing around conflict of interest is if you don't declare it. So if you're basically being nefarious uh, about it. And uh, these can be simple things like declaring that affiliation. Uh, You just do it on your user page. Or, you know, sometimes you'll get more rigorous oversight and monitoring of the edits that you're making just to make sure that you're not... um, you know, perhaps putting a particular gloss on things right. or, you know, perhaps removing, you know, say if you work for a particular university, you know, you might kind of slyly remove issues around, I don't know, scandals that have happened in the institution or something like that to make sure that right. you're not 
uh, being shaky in that way. Um, but there is on Wiki, there is quite a lot of kind of wrangling and almost suspicion in some quarters mm-hmm. around Wikimedians residents. Uh, but most of them do not actually edit Wikipedia on a day-to-day basis. They're not paid to sit in front of a computer and add content. Mostly they are facilitating other people to edit Wikipedia to perhaps leverage, so, as I said, those resources. The images and things like that. So if there's a lot of, they would make things available to the commons. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, or just enabling more people to edit Wikipedia by teaching them how to do it and okay. the rights and wrongs and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Um but they might do things like, um, so if somebody turns up to say an editing workshop and creates a brand new page, they might publish it on that, that new editor's behalf, you know, right. the main space. Um, or they might do things like add images to relevant um, Wikipedia pages and things like that. And some people feel that that gray area is perhaps not the best. Right. Okay. So like everything on Wikipedia, there are extremes of opinion uh, with some people not bothered really about, you know, conflict of interest or COI, as we refer to it. and thinking Another that, acronym. Oh, yeah. We love our acronyms. And they believe that, you know, all the other things that we have around monitoring vandalism and, you know, all of these things, that that's enough. And that really Wikipedians spending too much time and resources watching these Wikimedians and residents and other people, other paid editors or people who declare affiliations, it's just a waste of time. And that right. all these other mechanisms will take care of it if we just let, if we just believe in them, basically. <laughs> um, and that, you know, basically it, it, it outweighs any perceived benefit. But then others are stone cold against any kind of hint of COI and believes that, you know, for the neutrality of Wikipedia and all that kind of stuff, you have to be removed from the subject. You know, so this idea of trying to move towards some kind of objective uh, truth of... Yeah, exactly. And that distance is the best way of doing that. So what happens, I keep comparing Wikipedia to the EU, uh, (laughs) it keeps happening to me, Um, but it's basically, you know, it's one of these things where the compromise is found and everybody is kind of unhappy, but they're all equally unhappy. Right. You know, you kind of have these extreme views and then most Wikipedians are kind of in the middle and probably don't give two shakes of a rat's tail uh, about these things. But kind of the medium ground, hopefully, is what what we achieve. And I presume as well that the people who are getting het up about it would be the ones who are deeply invested in the the not in the pillars. Yeah. yeah, they would tend to be interested in kind of the bureaucratic or the the oversight yeah. element of it and be quite invested in those elements. But you know, to touch on really what a Wikimedian residence uh, or in this case a Wikipedian residence does, we're going to hand over and have a chat with uh, Ireland's national Wikipedian in residence, national healthcare Wikipedian in residence, Dr. Connor Malone. <laughs> I'm Connor Malone. Uh, I'm a doctor and ophthalmology trainee, eye surgery trainee uh, here in Ireland. And uh, for the last few months, I've been the National Healthcare Wikipedian in residence in the HSC Library Service. Well, I think the first thing we're going to have to ask is, um, what is the National Healthcare Wikipedian residence? So um, I should probably tell you first what the, the HSC Library Service is. So the, the full name of it is the National Health Library and Knowledge Service. Um, which is is a very long name, but it's it's because it's such a a big service. Um, uh, it provides a, a lot of support for uh, staff across a very big organisation, um, and it really only came into being a few years ago. So before that, every HSE hospital, every voluntary hospital, every Section Thirty Eight or you know non government uh, healthcare organisation had its own library service and defined it in its own way, and the funding was uh, very fragmented. Um, and then a few years ago, 
they brought it all together and they moved the, the library service to the uh, under research um, and the librarian uh, called Aoife Lawton uh, took over so she's my um, my boss and she works for Dr Anna Terras um, in research and um, Aoife and her team created a strategy, um, a five-year strategy, so we're about midway through that. Um, and part of that was the transformation of the library service from a place where we would go and, and get books to somewhere that we see as an information service, so much broader, um, and uh, also to, to get people to engage with the services that are there uh, that can really transform the way we look after patients um, and the way we educate and train our staff. A couple of years ago, the NHLKS partnered with National Doctors Training and Planning, which is uh, really the HR part of the HSE that looks after training for doctors from their first year after college, from intern year, all the way up to consultancy. Um, and together they saw the value in having clinicians involved in the library service. Um, and then more specifically, uh, involved in open access and Wikimedia and then specifically Wikipedia. Um, and I, I was familiar with uh, other Wikipedian in residence programs. Um, so the, the Welcome Institute, for example, um, was one of the first uh, healthcare organizations to have a Wikipedian residence. It was really successful. Uh, there are many examples around the world of libraries and museums. Um, but really, we, there were no national healthcare uh, Wikipedian in residence programs. So um, they set that up and, and Niall O'Mara was the first uh, doctor who did it. I'm not the first. I'm lucky to have had someone go before me who set up uh, really good connections. And because it's such a big idea, you know, we all know what, in theory, we all know what, what Wikipedia is, but I don't think that um, until you get stuck in, you realise how complex and potentially powerful it is, not just as a way of consuming information, but from my experience and my perspective as a as a public health tool and as a way to uh, you know open up health information to patients and their families but also to clinicians so nurses doctors physiotherapists psychologists anyone working um, in the healthcare space and also hopefully to people outside of healthcare who want to make a difference so engineers and um, informaticists businesses who want to deliver something new, something better for patients that they can access information without having to find a subject matter expert, you know, that may be difficult to find or may cost them a lot of time and money to engage with. Uh, Wikipedia may help them with that and then Wikimedia more broadly. To kind of to take a step back for a minute, because um, I know you've, you've edited Wikipedia for a number of years, for an amount of time. What got you started editing Wikipedia? Well, it probably won't surprise you that it was it was the library. So if we really go back in time now, we're going into black and white uh, territory almost. We're going back so far. The first time I ever used the internet was in a library, in a local library down in Tipperary. Um, and, you know, the librarians there you know, introduced me. I kind of knew vaguely what the internet was because I saw when I used to go to the cinema, you'd see at the bottom of some of the movies, it would have a, you know, a, a, a WWW address. And my brother and I were very interested in technology and we used to, you know, program and code a little bit. And so the librarian offered, you know, to put us on the internet and we were just amazed and we would really just Google, you know, single words like, you know, X-Men or Star Trek or whatever. And, um, and then I, I went to Wikipedia, you know, when I went to college. So again, 
the very first time I used Wikipedia was in the library in the Royal College of Surgeons. We were all given laptops and we had this amazing thing called Wi-Fi. So you could sit anywhere in the library and, and access the internet. And I remember using Wikipedia a lot for biochemistry exams because you'd be coming across these terms and the books might have, you know, some of the terms, but maybe it wouldn't go into great detail. So I found Wikipedia a really useful way of expanding my knowledge in very specific areas. I, I didn't have the confidence to really edit beyond kind of, you know, putting in a, a comma here or or a full stop there. Um, and then I started to add references and um, created an account. So I'm probably 10 years editing now. When I look back, I actually realized that for a long time, when I was a student, I was editing to learn. And as I learned, um, you know, I, I, a few months ago, I look back at, at, at what I had created. And now I'm, you know, a lot of what I write about is you know, buildings that are important to me or to, to my local area. But back then I was editing articles about things that I was reading about and learning about. So it was interesting. I was kind of studying for my exams uh, by improving articles on Wikipedia. And then through that kind of through osmosis, I was also studying for my exams. So it was a, an interesting process, even though at the time I probably didn't realize that's what I was doing. You were involved in kind of the, the formation or kind of the sculpting of what the National Wikipedia in Residence was going to be or the kind of some of the, the, the shape of the role. Has that do you think that's changed since it was first envisaged? Has it kind of evolved and grown and, and kind of what have you learned uh, since since it began? So I'm I'm you know primarily a clinician and um you know what I enjoy doing as a doctor is you know, is ophthalmology, ophthalmic surgery, so seeing and treating patients and, and operating on them. But you know, I've uh, I've I've long felt that if I could create my ideal week, you know, I'd be operating a day and a half, seeing patients a day and a half, and the other two days I'd be editing Wikipedia. You know, someone might pay me or give me time to <laughs> to edit Wikipedia and do some some informatics or technology work. When I was working, yeah, I, I was the the national fellow for innovation on change at NDTP and the HSE when this uh, originally came about, and part of it was driven by the idea that you know I felt that we should give clinicians an opportunity. And in saying that, I think that we should have more than just a doctor doing it. I think ideally my my bigger dream would be to have a, you know, a bigger team of pharmacists, nurses, it'd be great to have patients, you know, people who are in the service to come in and, and to really uh, work with librarians to make access to information as, uh, as open as, as possible. So that was kind of my idea that, you know, could we try this? Uh, could we get someone um, and I never dreamed that it would be me for several reasons. Number one, I, you know, I, I was focused on my training and this was something I saw myself doing 10 years time. Um, and number two, you know, I, I think that it's really important as you're developing programs like this to try and bring as many people into it. So, you know, I'm not at the moment, I don't see it as my role to go around editing articles and to, to be a, a one man show, putting all this information up. I'm sort of my the best role that I can bring is to be an evangelist and to get as many people involved in, in Wikipedia as possible and Wikimedia more broadly so that, you know, even if many of them never go beyond creating an account, at least they will start to understand how Wikipedia works, the, the benefits, the pitfalls. Um, and then hopefully they will also encourage others to use it. And I, I really was concerned looking at the data that Wikipedia still is very male. You know, it's 85% or so men, typically English speaking white men in their 20s and 30s. And, you know, that's me. So 
I, I, I'm very conscious that one of the biggest jobs that we have to do is try and bring more people in it uh, because the Wikipedia famously has no rules. It has kind of pillars or ideas that we, we work around and, and that support our work. But um, as I said earlier, Wikipedia is an incredible public health tool. So if you have access to the internet and if you can, if you can read a major language, there's a fair chance that you can access an article about what you want to find out about on Wikipedia. And that's incredible. And we didn't have that 20 years ago or, or so. So if we can, for example, get people editing about maternal and child health, that's incredible because that means that people all over the world who maybe otherwise don't have access to, to healthcare or in the way they should, you know, can get more information, can help their own situation, can help other people. And that in itself is, you know, we talk about, you know, giving aid and talk about charitable work. I think one of the greatest things that we can do for humanity is to is to make information like this available to everyone and you can look at wikipedia and say oh well you know they're talking about you know lists of famous violins you know something abstract like that you know and that's fine and if you're doing a phd in something you're going to put up information like that but actually you can you can make entire books out of uh, healthcare topics um, on wikipedia and not only that in in my experience many of the articles will be more rigorously peer reviewed than than some of what we read and use to treat patients at the moment. Um, and that's not least because of the time lag. So if you're writing a paper, you do research in the year 2020, by the time it's finished, you know, it might be 2021, you do the analysis, you send it into the paper, it gets reviewed. So it could be one, two, you know, I've seen papers that are six plus years in the making. So by the time they reach you, is, is are the data even um, valid? And Wikipedia has the ability to update things, you know, in the almost in real time. So if you have, if you get a book, you know, you take it off the shelf. So you're thinking, gosh, this is a brand new book, but the information could be a decade out of date. Whereas in Wikipedia, it can really be at the, the the leading edge, the bleeding edge, where you are, something is published on a Monday and on Tuesday, it's it's cited as a source on Wikipedia. There are risks with that, but uh, those risks are tempered by the really strong ethics and processes within Wikipedia. And, you know, they're very strong healthcare um and medical communities on on Wikipedia that, re that really help with that. But most of the editors that I see editing healthcare related pages, as far as I can see, they don't have any um, specific link to healthcare other than they are really good editors. And they, you know, as I say, it could be, you know, a 15 year old high school student in Kansas, or it could be, you know, someone on an oil rig off of Russia, we don't know, you know, who's editing it. But they're making really good edits and you don't have to be uh, a trained healthcare professional to make those edits. And in many ways that keeps us on the straight and narrow because you have people then interrogating what we're writing instead of me going on writing all this received wisdom that I think is accurate, but it's just specific to me and the medical training that I had in the country that I'm in, in the, you know, in the language that I speak. So that's a very long way of saying uh, healthcare is an incredible uh, public health tool um, and several people before uh, us have suggested that really all healthcare workers um, could do the world a great good by taking an hour a year to edit. I think an hour a year, it's, it's nothing. I mean, it's an episode of a TV show. Uh, it's not even a movie. And if you were to do that, the healthcare information on Wikipedia would multiply, you know, almost exponentially. So if, so you know, back to what I was saying, my job isn't to to fill up Wikipedia with all the knowledge that I can possibly give it. I think my job is to 
uh, champion Wikipedia in all the good things that it can do and to reassure people that uh, many of the concerns that that I would have had when I started editing Wikipedia, you know, about it being in some way unreliable or not as appropriate a source of information. Many of those concerns are either, you know, false. They're things that we presume or assume they're either you know false or they are or they can be you know if you're careful and if you are if you appraise the information they can be mitigated or or tempered in some way the next question i had was kind of specifically about what might make editing in ireland that bit different what gaps do we have now you know do do we have uh, you know every minority community uh, represented in healthcare definitely not and certainly if you look at any hospital or uh, whether it's public, private, if you look at the HSE, really anywhere in, in Europe, if you look at the top management, it's not a very diverse bunch. Um, and some of that is age related. So, you know, the the younger generations are probably hopefully more, more diverse. Um, but, you know, we need to be critical of that and think, well, we're making decisions, but we don't represent, uh, you know, what what Ireland looks like, never mind the, the world. So the students are really keen, I find, to talk about that and they push back and they challenge you and say, well, look, you know, it's great. We're, talk- we're writing about women. That's really important. But, you know, what about, you know, another group? That was really, that was really fascinating. And then over the summer, because of um, the the changes that were made to, to training because of the pandemic, many students weren't able to go abroad and do um, electives. So, you know, typically you, you would spend a summer doing what's called an elective where you go and visit a, a hospital or healthcare facility um, within your own country, but more often abroad. And, and you learn about different health systems and um, maybe different uh, services that, that aren't uh, available in Ireland. Um, so they were losing out on that opportunity. And it's it's a really, for many of us, it, it's a formative time in our training um, because it it broadens your horizons and and gives you connections, deeper connections to health, to public health and healthcare around the world. Uh, so I worked with um, an informatics lecturer, Eric Clark in, in RCSI, who had taught me when I was a student. He had a real interest in uh, getting out more information about um, grief and bereavement. That was an important topic for him. Um, and I was interested in well, num- number one, giving students a good project uh, for the summer. And uh, number two, of course, maybe adding a few editors to, to Wikipedia. Um, and then pr- most importantly of all, hopefully adding to the to the information that, that was on Wikipedia. So they choose, chose the projects themselves, a little bit of guidance. So um, w- one student, she, she wrote on uh, grief and bereavement and she looked at... Um, you know the the readability of the pages because that's something that's that is really important um wikipedia is an encyclopedia and even if you think about the word encyclopedia it's a big word and it can be intimidating and to, to get nostalgic again i remember as a child taking down the childcraft books i don't know if you ever oh yes those. oh yes um, and I would say a huge amount of my learning came from those. They were fantastic. Uh, but there were, you know, individual little books and you could pick out, you know, which section you wanted. And they were small. And for a child looking back, you know, you, you could easily open them and they had illustrations and they were very accessible. But if you think about other um, encyclopedias, like the Britannica and all these, these are weighty tomes. And even like physically to lift it off a shelf was a big job. Um, and then you opened it and it felt very, you know, it was it was almost a spiritual experience, but quite quite intense if if you if maybe you're only learning to read or you struggle with reading you know so readability is definitely a barrier and there there is the simple english uh, wikipedia which is a great resource but you know people 
don't always make their way there. So the student was, she did an amazing job. She really looked at the readability of the pages, looked at what could be broken out into other articles. Um, because sometimes as well, apart from the language within a, an article, it can be really long. And if you are not familiar with the topic or you're just skimming it, you, you know, you're probably not going to engage with a really long article. So it's useful to have the sub articles, obviously, within reason. Um, so I'm not going to preempt her research findings that, you know, it's better for her to speak about her own uh, uh, topic, but uh, she did an amazing job. And then um, another student uh, wrote about um, the National Healthcare Repository, Lenis, and um, and about RCSI's impact on Wikipedia. So she looked at the open access information um, that RCSI has compiled and looked at how it had penetrated Wikipedia or, or not as the case may be. And that was for a couple of reasons. So it was to see, well, look, if we're producing research, which is funded by RCSI and often funded by the government or, you know, taxpayer resource bodies, well, then that should have an impact. And it's not good enough for us to just put it in some obscure journal that people have to pay money to get the benefit of. Um, really, we want this, this stuff front and center. So RCSI, like so many institutions, has a great repository where people can access a lot of open access uh, information for free easily. But if you can have that on Wikipedia as well in its appropriate place, then that means that you're really expanding its reach. Um, so she looked at it from from that point of view. And um, and also, you know, it was kind of to pose the question, you know, how do we value information that we produce? How do we value research? So many people will say, well, you know, if it's published in nature, you know, as a, as a journal, then that's really valuable because that's very high profile and it's difficult to get into. Yeah, and that, that is true. That is, uh, you know, it, it, it's an achievement. However, uh, many of us would argue that really the more people you reach, you know, the bigger impact you have in terms of readability and usability, that, that's probably more valuable too. And so people have been looking for quite a while now about how we measure that on Wikipedia. Um, and, and, you know, it's quite sophisticated and I'm certainly not an expert on it, but I know that many people are um, making that possible now that you can, you can use metrics um, to show how big an impact your, your research or your organization's research are having on Wikipedia. So she looked at that. And then our third student looked really close to home and looked at how minority and specifically traveler community uh, healthcare is dealt with on Wikipedia. And we really suspected before we even looked that it was going to be pretty poor and and unfortunately, we were right. So, you know, the traveler community is relatively small. I think it's about 30, 35,000 um, people. But um, the disparity, the healthcare disparities are huge, um, as well as some of the educational disparities, um, and they're systemic. So we were aware of it, but also discussing it, we realized, well, actually, we don't know that much about it. And that's our fault, because, you know, we never asked about it. I, I can't ever remember discussing it, you know, in, in any classes or any role I had. And I think the same is true across Ireland. So there are certainly programs to sort of try and improve uh, traveller health. But if you are a journalist and someone talks to you about this, one of the first things you'll do is look up Wikipedia. And this journalists have told us this, we know. Or if you are a politician, yes, you will have advisors and you will have brilliant people, you know, working on this. But one of the first things they'll do is look up Wikipedia. Um, and that can do a couple of things. If you if there's nothing there, it will leave them with very little. And then they may go somewhere else, which maybe is not as good a source um, or is out of date or maybe it has a particular agenda. And so they can be misinformed 
I won't say through no fault of their own because probably we should be much more careful about where we get information. But, you know, if people are looking for an answer quickly, uh, they may be led the wrong way. And then it's an, if you flip it the other way, it's an opportunity. So if we can put really good information about traveler health on Wikipedia, that means that when people Google it or when people do a search on Wikipedia, they are presented with high quality information that hopefully is up to date. And they will therefore be starting from a much more informed uh, place. So as we were discussing that, you know, it, it was great to see how kind of students approach things because we are, you know, as you as you progress in your career, you tend to become a bit more, um, I won't say conservative, but certainly, you know, you don't you don't see all of the the options and the new ways of looking at things. Um, and so uh, specifically for for traveler health, um, you know, we looked at the reports that were out there, and some of them were years and and even decades old. Um, and so the question came, well, you know, what are we doing? in the meantime so it's it's an amazing process when you have students looking at these issues because they pose questions that certainly I found difficult to answer and some of them were personally challenged the decisions that I've made in the past and things that I hadn't challenged on on Wikipedia or or within um healthcare um so for me it was transformative and I hope for the for the students as well but each of them has a, has a great story and and they will be they'll be presenting them at um yeah, healthcare meetings and hopefully if there are Wikipedia meetings or other opportunities for them to present those, I think um I think they'd be glad to. That was very interesting. Um and just to everybody listening here, that is a tiny fraction of the interview we have with Connor and we will be putting up bonus material sometime in the new year with our longer form interviews um, so you'll get to hear more from Connor. Much like the other interviews that I've done the danger with having interviews with your friends is that you just keep talking Yes, uh, and myself and Connor have known each other on and off for a good few years. He was actually never attended as Skeptics in the pub but was had a, he was like a member of our group and stuff like that. He just never quite made it to the pub. Um, um, just again, for anybody who doesn't know Rebecca and myself, we used to co-run Dublin Skeptics in the pub back in the day, uh, oh, going back a few years now. 2010 to 2015. Yeah. If you can think back that far. So the three students that Connor worked with in RCSI that he was referring to in his piece were um, Iris Rahman, who was looking at completeness and readability of grief and bereavement articles on Wikipedia. Rabia Bahima, was looking at the representation and penetration of RCSI research papers on Wikipedia. And Megan Gibson was looking at the minority communities and in particular traveller health uh, as it is represented on Wikipedia. Oh, wow. Those are very fascinating discussions as well. They sound like interesting topics weighty, to read up on. Yes. Weighty topics. So, uh, Rebecca, who is who or what is the wiki hero of this episode? So the heroic effort for this episode is, at the moment, all through December, there is an ongoing editing event to improve and deepen articles relating to climate change on Wikipedia, specifically focusing on the women of climate change. Oh, wow. So from youth leaders uh, like Greta Thunberg and Vanessa Nakate to Paris Agreement facilitator Christina Fugueres and IPCC, Vice Chair Carolina Vera. Very interesting. I remember a few years back, I used to listen to a podcast with Mary Robinson, which was all about the women involved in climate change uh, activism, which I thought was very... Well, her point about it was that it's the women of um, developing countries that are on the front line of climate change. So it makes makes perfect sense. So 
this is one of um this is a really great example of the writing challenges and drives that often take place on specific language Wikipedias or across language Wikipedias like this one. And this one is spearheaded by a user group called Wikidone, which is an Italian, uh, primarily Italian speaking um, women's editing group and the Wikimedia Sustainability Consortia, which are looking at you know issues of sustainability across the Wikimedia Foundation. Right. So many of these campaigns aren't just about writing those. So like a lot of these, they encourage people to add uh, to Wikidata. So creating Wikidata items for these people, um, for movements, say, you know, activism groups, that kind of thing, or perhaps pieces of research. So Wikidata items can be, you know, a specific um, piece of work or yeah, research paper or something like right. that. Um, but also to upload images. Um, related topics so if there's been a climate march in your city or you know if there's an ongoing protest you would put that up exactly yeah that kind of um that's that's kind of interesting and again the focus on women and climate change is is an interesting focus because as you've mentioned that people in developing worlds and in particular women in developing worlds are at the the forefront of uh the fight against climate change because they're the ones being affected most yeah yeah, you know, people who are stall, you know, small holding uh, type farmers and people who live on coasts, mm-hmm. you know, that all of these areas are the ones that are very, you know, getting very hard hit. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's why the, the coffee crop and the chocolate crop and all these things are, are failing is because it's all of those areas in the world that are being significantly affected. You know, where we are, you know, we're in that temperate zone unless the um, sea levels rise significantly. Unless the sea level rise and the, uh, what is it called? The Gulf, the Gulf Stream shuts down. Yeah then we're screwed. <laughs> yes, then we'll be Nova Scotia. And there you have it. That was the world according to Wikipedia. Join us in two weeks. You can subscribe to us on your podcast player of choice. Follow us on Twitter at world underscore Wikipedia. Thanks to Patricia O'Flaherty for our artwork and Connor at Headstuff for production assistance. Go to headstuff.org for show notes and more information. Oh, don't make me start right from the start. The first part was fine. (laughs) This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.